I'm Gregory Berg. One of the chief blessings of hosting the morning show for so many years and one of the chief blessings of teaching at Carthage College for so many years is the fact that I've had the pleasure and privilege of meeting some really extraordinary people. And one of them, Dr. Irene Kramer, for over 30 years a cherished educator and administrator at Carthage, a marvelous teacher of foreign language and one of the most influential champions of the immersion approach to teaching foreign language. As a matter of fact, for her efforts, she was awarded in 1997 the ACTFL Nelson Brooks Award for Excellence in the Teaching of Language. And it was not long after she received that award that uh, she was a guest of mine on The Morning Show. Sadly, Dr. Kramer passed away in 2004 at the age of 57. It was a tremendous loss to both the community and to Carthage itself. To this very day, there is a scholarship at Carthage that bears her name. Carthage says the Iren Kramer Starting Over Scholarship is named in honor of Iren Kramer, who was both a professor and administrator at Carthage for over 30 years. As an adult student herself, Iren possessed the courage and spirit that so many adult women students have. As dean of the adult education department, she was famous for moving mountains to make sure all adult students got a fighting chance at an education, but she always had a special place in her heart for the women. With Iren Kramer, all things were possible, and the word no was never a part of her vocabulary. She had a clear vision of what was necessary to support adult students returning to college, and with that innovative vision, implemented many new programs for adult education. This scholarship honors Irene Kramer's memory and gives financial assistance to an adult female student who exemplifies her spirit. The Irene Kramer Starting Over Scholarship is given to a current degree-seeking female adult learner of sophomore or junior standing who has returned to college to begin a new path in her life. In honor of Dr. Irene Kramer and all of her extraordinary work, I am pleased now to present this interview, first recorded and broadcast back in 1997. I am delighted to have in the studios today here on uh, WGTDFM 91.1 a colleague of mine from Carthage College who has recently uh, earned uh, quite a prestigious honor. Irene Kramer is Dean of the School of Professional Studies at Carthage and in fact if I'm not mistaken has been on the morning show before to talk about the School of Professional Studies and the ACE program which has uh, attracted so much attention. She was recently uh, granted a prestigious award by the uh, ACTFL, the American Council on uh, Teaching Foreign Language. They uh, recently gave her the Nelson Brooks Award for Excellence in the Teaching of Culture. And uh, they awarded this to uh, Irene Kramer for her work in, uh, in education, particularly uh, for the work that she has done in the field of foreign language uh, instruction, which is, is a fascinating field in and of itself, and uh, one that has... Uh, such incredible importance in this uh, global economy in which we all live and, and function. So we'll be talking about uh, all of that and more. And Irene Kramer, welcome to The Morning Show. Hello, I'm delighted to be here. Glad to have you here. Tell us a little bit first about the Nelson Brooks Award for Excellence in the Teaching of Culture. Well, it's the great honor, the great professional honor of my life. It's mm -hmm. uh, an honor that is a national award. Uh, that I was lucky enough to earn after very many years of language instruction at Carthage and throughout the United States. Um, it supports my philosophy of language instruction, which is one that integrates systematically language and the culture of the country whose language we are studying. Hmm. So uh, as far as you're concerned, uh, foreign language study in which you limit yourself to words is, uh, is not sufficient then? Um, not only is it not sufficient, but I think it's an exercise in futility um, mm. because if we learn words without a context around them, it becomes simply an exercise in memory. And as we mm. all know, memory, when it's not cultivated on a daily basis, slowly disappears from us. And so the, uh, the concept is that if I study the words and the structure of language, but put it in the context of culture, then I will remember 
much better. Let me give you a quick example. If I learn, say, vocabulary of food, and I said I would like to eat, is the sentence I would like my students to learn. If I stop at I would like to eat, or if I stop at I would like to eat a hamburger, um, I have not integrated the target culture, the culture of the other country. But if I say I would like to eat a croissant, or I would like to eat an onion soup, or I would like to eat, and now I'm telling you in which order food appears on the French table, with salad at the end, for example, as opposed to at the beginning, oh. as it is in an American meal, I have not taught you more than one thing. I have taught you the words to designate the food, but I've also given you a lesson on how to order food in a French restaurant, how to behave in a French um, a dinner if you're invited in somebody's home, how you are expected to behave if you're a business person dealing with French business people. Uh, and so this integration then justify all the time we're putting in learning the language because it's going to be highly useful and highly um, applicable when I go abroad. Mm. Does that appreciably slow down the process of learning uh, a given foreign language, uh, trying to learn these other things at the same time, or no, not, not really? No, I don't think so. Uh, one thing that we have observed is, first of all, our students retain it better, hmm. uh, because it's far more interesting, uh, and therefore they're paying more attention, and so the retention rate skyrockets, hmm. and we don't have to repeat that much. Uh, and secondly, um, we really don't add anything. We just change the context hmm. in which the language was learned um, 30, 40 years ago, we taught any language, any world language, putting it in the American uh, context, as mm. if everybody in the world ate in the same manner, had the same sort of homes, drove the same sort of cars. So we're really not adding, we're just changing the context, so mm. it doesn't slow down at all. Well, you've really touched on one of the most uh, crucial issues here, haven't you? That being that uh, the United States has had this egocentric view that has uh, really put the, the study of foreign language a bit off to the side, and now all of a sudden we find ourselves in this uh, global community and global economy, and it just cannot be. We, we have to uh, produce young men and women who can function in an international community far better than they have. Uh, compare that to the context of when you began teaching foreign language uh, some years ago. I suppose those concerns weren't weren't uh, quite so present, perhaps. Well, I think we were less aware uh, 20, 25 years ago when I started teaching. We truly believed that English was the common language of the world, and therefore, <laughs> if we knew English, we could do business. Uh, I have often said to my students that, um, business students who, who are preparing for the international world, that if they are going abroad uh, to buy something, then English is just fine. But if they're going abroad to sell something, then mm. they better know the culture and the way their customers are thinking. Let me give you an example of comparison. Today, 20 million Japanese students study English. 20 million. We have 45,000 U.S. students studying Japanese. Wow. The score is that we have a $59 billion deficit with Japan. Today, we have 19,000 U.S. college students studying Chinese. We have a $29 billion deficit with China. Now, I don't mean to imply for a second that if we learn the language, all of those deficits are going to, to disappear. But I cannot imagine that some of the errors that we have committed in the past in international business were not related to language. Here again, let me give you some example, if you wish. Mm -hmm. uh, when Body by Fisher, Body by Fisher, was translated in Flemish as Cadaver by Fisher, mm. it didn't work out too well. <laughs> when Schweppes Tonics water was translated in Italian as Toilet Water, mm. it didn't sell. When Gerber Foods, uh, Baby Food, uh, didn't understand why they didn't sell their product in France when the word means to throw up in French. <laughs> when Chevrolet tried to sell in South America a very good car called Nova 
meaning mm. in Spanish doesn't work. Oh boy. We had a few, a few little difficulties here. <laughs> um, the interesting joke that I like a lot is a, is a Japanese businessman and an American businessman sitting down for dinner. And they're debating which is the language of business today as we turn mm. to the next millennium. And so the American doesn't hesitate a second. He says, well, it's, it's, it's English, of course. Anybody who knows English can do international business. And the Japanese businessman thinks a little bit and says, you know, I don't think so. I think the language that one needs to know is the customer's language. Mm. So we are not as equipped in that respect as, uh, as we need to be. Have you seen... Uh, improvement or or is that uh, curve not really turning around yet no the curve is not turning around uh, in fact uh, today in american colleges eight and a half percent of college students take language period um, in wisconsin 29 percent of our students are enrolled k through 12 in language classes now you compare mm. that to say western europe where every single student in high school has to take two languages and that the conclusion are pretty obvious i mean we need to turn this around we absolutely need it it's a it's a practical necessity it's it's going to be survival for american business i mean we know uh, completely unrelated to language that national business doesn't exist anymore uh, we all know that it's impossible to find any object today uh, that is manufactured solely in the United States. And so we are going to become more and more international. I sit at my desk uh, in the corner of Lake Michigan at Carthage College, and I'm in contact with China and with France and, and with South America on a daily basis uh, through Internet. Mm. Uh, this is going to change and has already changed the way we're doing business throughout the world. And we can no longer be monolingual. Uh, everybody says that speaking two languages is an ability. I say speaking only one is a disability. Mm. Well put. So in the state of Wisconsin, uh, public schools, there are no strict foreign language requirements in place across the board? No. Um, the, the, the only requirement that we have is really, not, it's an indirect requirement. It says that if you want to be admitted to some colleges, uh, you should have two years of language instruction. Mm. It takes a minimum of five to seven years to become basically proficient in a Western language. Now, if you want to start studying Chinese and Japanese when you're an English speaker, it takes much more. So two years is not even a, a minimum. Mm. We need to start teaching our students very young. Everybody knows the younger the better. So we need to start in, in kindergarten and pursue all the way to the end of college, as is done in pr practically every industrialized country in the world today. And I really want to applaud Kenosha Unified for having started some immersion schools. I think it certainly is a wonderful step in the right direction. Hmm. Is Carthage a college that uh, does require foreign language from its applicants? Uh, we do more than that. We require a proficiency of one year of instruction for graduation. So every one of our students has to have demonstrated basic proficiency of at least two semesters of language instruction. So uh, at Carthage, you mean? At Carthage. Or if they have had it prior to coming, they can demonstrate their proficiency uh, in an exam. I see. Uh, what are the languages that are taught at Carthage? Thank you for asking. I'm very <laughs> proud of that. Uh, we're teaching the traditional French and German and Spanish. Uh, and a few years ago, we have added Japanese, which is now a strong program at Carthage. And uh, we are now looking very strongly uh, at adding Chinese come this September. Hmm. Uh, we have, of course, realized that China is a very important economic power in the world. It's, it's a formidable power coming to action now. And therefore, we want Carthage students to be prepared to deal intelligently uh, with all the opportunities that will occur for Americans to go to China. And so we're going to uh, put together, we are working right now, at a, a Chinese program which will allow our students to get some Chinese instruction, uh, and language instruction, and certainly get a better understanding of the Chinese culture, and then go to China, um, study in schools, and more importantly, do internships in uh, Chinese corporations. Mm.
I understand that uh, the the Japanese uh, uh, instructors at Carthage are kind of part of a special sort of program. Certainly. Um, a few years ago, again, we started a program uh, called the Foreign Teaching Experts. Uh, and what we do is bring... I was going to say young kids, but that's because I'm getting older. <laughs> They're not getting younger. Um, young scholars who come, uh, who are natives of the language they're going to instruct, come to Carthage, stay for a couple years. They earn a master's degree in language education from us. We, in other words, teach them how to be good language teachers. And in turn, they teach their own language. And that's a wonderful program because those are young uh, very dynamic teachers who bring a very up-to-date uh, image of the country that they're representing, which is something that I'm very dedicated uh, to offering to our students. I don't wish for them to only know what happened in France last century. Uh, I want them to understand what is happening today, and more importantly, what we predict will happen tomorrow. So mm. France is not only the country of love. We've done many more things. <laughs> we had uh, one of the uh, Japanese instructors uh, here on the morning show. I remember Carly Drummer bringing her by. I yes. don't remember who, who exactly that was, but she was from that uh, first group. And uh, it was fascinating to uh, hear her own life story, for one, and the experience that she has had here in America. And it seems to be one of those win-win situations where everyone is benefiting so richly. Absolutely. And uh, it affords the Carthage students the um, availability to develop some personal friendships. We've had quite a few of our American Carthage students then go abroad and visit the new friends they, they have made. And it's lovely to... Uh, stay in touch with kids all over the world today. Hmm. We're talking with Irene Kramer. She is uh, uh, from Carthage College, Dean of the School of Professional Studies there, and uh, the most recent recipient of the Nelson Brooks Award for Excellence in the Teaching of Culture, uh, granted by the American Council on Teaching Foreign Language. Uh, w when did you begin uh, teaching foreign language and, and why? Uh, completely by accident. It's my, my life has been a series of lovely accidents. Um, I came to the United States in 1968, uh, and perhaps within one week of my arrival in Kenosha, I received a phone call uh, from a local university asking me if I had a college degree, and I said yes, and they said, good, we need a French teacher. Mm. And the next day, I stepped into my first classroom uh, wow. and uh, fell in love fell absolutely in love with teaching language and with being in American classes and I've done it for the rest of my life. And that was your initial experience? Absolutely. Teaching? Really? Absolutely. I was 21 years old. I had no sense of modesty whatsoever <laughs> and I thought I had been in school all of my life so what was the big deal? I could teach. Huh. Were there any mistakes you made in those early, uh, uh, early days? I mean, I, I guess w what I'm really asking is... Uh, doesn't it take more than being able to speak the language yourself to know how to teach it? And I wonder Absolutely. what things you've kind of learned in the, on the, on the uh, battlefield, so to speak. Um, I do not believe that one is born a teacher at all. Uh, I believe that some people have special talents uh, which then help them become better teacher. But I do very strongly believe that teaching is a profession that has to be learned. You have to know the tricks of the trades. <laughs> and therefore... Uh, as much enthusiasm uh, and, and excitement that I brought to that first class, I'm sure it was a, a series of mistakes, not just a few, <laughs> but a series of mistakes. Um, the lovely experience that I've had was to learn from my students, um, mm. and that was to really observe what were the reaction to what I was doing, and then changing what I was doing to change their reaction. Mm. Uh, and they were my best teachers. This being said, I went then back to school, and earned the degree in teaching and learned all the theory and, and then started practicing. And practice, 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 you know that. Mm -hmm. it's <laughs> same thing in your field. Right. Uh, the, the foreign language that I have studied, and I wish I had studied more, uh, has all been in, in the situation where, where essentially the language in question is spoken from day one, that there, you hardly hear a single English word spoken. First of all, is that very much the predominant way in which foreign language is taught uh, in the United States, and I wonder if so, uh, if, it is, if that's been the predominant method for a long time. It is the predominant way at Carthage. It is the only way 
we teach language. We call that immersion. Mm. We say that the moment you step into a class, this is absolutely what should occur. And the reason for that is that we are not preparing our students to learn again language without a context. The goal is to make them capable. I tell my students, after one year of French instruction or Japanese or, or German, uh, we want to be able to parachute you in France, in Paris, and you will survive. You might not be able to speak like Victor Hugo, but then I don't speak like Shakespeare either. Uh, but you will be able to not be surprised. You'll be able to take a cab. You'll be able to get a hotel room and have a conversation with a person next to you. Hmm. In order for this to occur, you have to have some um, reactions ready. For example, you have to be able to continue functioning if you don't understand every single word. Hmm. Um, to this day, after all the years of studying English and being immersed in the United States, occasionally there is a word I do not understand. And I don't stop dead uh, in my conversation <laughs> saying, oops, start, stop, what did you just say? The context, the fact that I'm secured enough in my proficiency allows me to go on. You can only develop that if you put students in the language immediately. Secondly, we believe at Carthage uh, and others around the country, obviously, that a language is something that you use. It is not something that you describe. I often uh, lean on your field to, to explain that to teachers, saying you don't learn singing by speaking about singing. You mm. learn singing by singing. Mm. Well, you don't learn French by describing French grammar. And on the a way blackboard. on a blackboard and saying this is a noun and this is an adjective and in French an adjective goes after the noun and in English it comes before. You, no. You learn language and you teach language by immersing the people in the culture and in the words that that culture represent. Do you find that on uh, the lower level as well, I mean, when, when younger people are, are, are given this instruction, is the immersion method quite widespread and, and equally successful uh, even when, when younger people are involved? Actually, the younger people are the ones who do better oh. uh, in immersions because uh, they have just learned their original language, their mother tongue, in immersion. And nobody has explained to them why words were in that order, and, and nobody has scolded them when they made a mistake. Mm. And, and so their, their effective filter, the, the one that prevents me from trying, <laughs> is very low. Yeah. And so young kids have absolutely no problem with that. Uh, college students have no problem with that if we justify it to them. And so before we start instruction at Carthage, we take all the students and we explain what is going to happen in the class and why. And mm. once we have justified, they play along with us. Right. I should relate my own experience about immersion when I was first uh, exposed to it. Uh, the, the language I took in high school, for whatever reason, was Latin. We Lovely. had only the, we had the choice of Latin or Spanish, and I don't really regret that I took Latin. But that wasn't that's not really a spoken language in the sense that these other languages are, and it was not. And we almost learned more about Latin than we learned Latin itself. So. Uh, my first experience learning a spoken foreign language was learning Italian in what would what would be uh, amount to to J term at Carthage a one month intense long period every day learned Italian and that was one of the great disasters of my life I'm so uh, sorry oh I was <laughs> Why? I was I was the wor I was the worst in the class my best friend and roommate was the best I was the worst I was completely at sea but I think uh, a couple of the main problem was that in that sort of telescoped format where things come at you so quickly and you don't have the time to go home after your first hour and practice and listen, uh, you're already on to the very next thing. And it, that was really, really frightening. And uh, that, that was a hard month, the longest month of my life probably. L let me <laughs> propose two things to you. The first one is that everybody is a candidate to learn another language. Mm -hmm. uh, you have learned one already. I mean, I often hear people saying, oh my goodness, you know two, three, four, five language. How did you do that? I cannot learn another language. And I point out to them that they have. They've learned English already. And if you have yeah. mastered <laughs> one language, then certainly you are a candidate to learn another language. And in your particular case, uh, I'm very surprised because you're a fantastic musician. 
and language is first and foremost hearing sounds. And so, give us another try. <laughs> I, oh, I bet well, you we could, well, well, we actually, could teach I, you something. Yeah, well, yes. No, actually, I, I went on to... Uh, have immersion education uh, in both German and French, and and it went swimmingly well. I told you. Yes, I yes, knew it. Yeah, no, I yeah, a great fan of that. But it was interesting to experience that first time, yes. where in in that context of of three hours a day, and and not necessarily having time to take it in. On the other hand, there were other people in that class who functioned beautifully, mm -hmm. and so there is something to be said for maybe the gift of being able to hear something spoken and immediately speaking it back. And I think it also has to do with your learning style. Each one of us has her own, his own learning style. Uh, and that's why at Carthage we have different uh, ways of delivery mm. uh, in classes. There are some times where you take four classes during one semester of 14 weeks, and there are some times, as you have just mentioned, during our January term, where you take only one class, but in an intensive manner. Some people do better in the intensive way, one topic, and I do it all day long. Some people need time to digest what mm. they have heard. Maybe, so. that f maybe that first time, particularly. It's interesting. I don't want to talk too much about my experience, but something else it reminds me of, um, I had a bit of brushing up uh, when I was at the Lyric Opera from the Berlitz School of Language down there. And uh, I remember the very first day, again, of Italian, and we were sitting around uh, a, a round table, uh, 12 of us and the teacher in the middle, and she took out a match from her purse, and she said, uh, Fiamifero, which is, the I think, the Italian word for match. She passed it to the first person who was supposed to say, is it La Fiamifero or whatever, and then that match was passed around. And I was the 11th of the 12 around this table. And I was the whole time. I mean, all these people were just passing it. Fiamifero, fiamifero, fiamifero. No problem at all. And I'm listening, trying to dissect. Now, what? Fia, 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 mom, no. Fia, me. I mean, I, it was not easy for me to just go fiamifero, fiamifero, the way it was for some of these other students around the table. And much to my relief, by the time I'd heard 10 people do it, by the time it got to me, fiamifero came out of my mouth. But, but uh, look, how many years was this back? A few years back, And yeah. you just remember <laughs> the word for match. Oh, yes, exactly. You could say fiamifero many, many times now. So not only were you able to produce this, but you were able to remember. So yes. you had a good teacher and you were a good student. Yeah, there, and uh, a, a, a touch of trauma sometimes makes things stick well, a little bit too. Well, but a touch of trauma occurs in every, in every class when you start. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure you had a touch of trauma the first time you were in algebra, or for that matter, <laughs> in your first music class. Sure. Uh, there's always, again, that affective filter uh, that we have, which, which scares us, and that is the talent of the teacher to reduce that affective filter and make you feel comfortable so that you forget your fright and mm. you play along with us and, and repeat fiamifero <laughs> without being <laughs> that concerned. Yes, exactly. It's uh, something, as you said, that you like to introduce to uh, students so they know what this experience is going to be. When does that happen? Does it be at, at Carthage, mm -hmm. typically? Does that happen before the very first time the class meets? Indeed. We uh, gather together in one room all the st new students in our language classes, and uh, we have the language department stand and explain the methods of instruction we're going to be used and, again, justify them. So, yes, it does happen before the first class, so that when they arrive in their first class, they know already they will not hear English, they will be asked to move around, they will be asked to perform things that they don't do typically in another college class. Mm -hmm. Were we to hold a uh, French course here? And this oui, was, monsieur. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, we're, uh, and it's the very, very first day. Yes. What, uh, typically, as you teach French, what, what would be the first words out of your mouth in that first class period? Okay. As you stand before the class, um, um, where do you begin? Okay. Remember what I said to you earlier. I will not teach you language without culture at the same time. Right. So as I prepare my class before I, I come to class, I will wonder what is the typical thing that will occur when a French person walks into a room where she doesn't know anyone and is about to meet people. Obviously, she's going to go around, shake hands with people, uh, occasionally give a kiss on two cheeks, hmm. uh, and say, hello, how are you? Now, 
a typical American person will say hi and maybe move the hand uh, sort of across <laughs> the face, but will not have any sort of physical contact. Mm. Uh, a French person will take that as an offense. Why aren't you shaking my hand? Is there anything wrong with me? Mm. Uh, and will start being on a defensive. So what will happen in my first class is that I'll open the door. Uh, actually, I will be in the class before the students come. And as they come in, I will shake their hand and say, bonjour, bienvenue. Good morning, welcome to my class. And then we will start. Hmm. But again, we will integrate immediately a piece of culture. When I say hello, I have to have a, a physical mm. contact with you. Either touch your hand or if I know you better, give you a quick little peck on both cheeks. Mm, okay. And I suppose you proceed fairly quickly to uh, my name is Irene Kramer. Absolutely. My je name is, je m'appelle Irene. Uh, and again, I will never say... And that means my name is, in English, I, I stay away, but obviously uh, all teachers are actors and actresses. Mm. So I will start using my hands and my body language. We will be standing because nobody introduces themselves when they're sitting down. I mean, typically we stand. So we are all standing around and I'm starting to demonstrate that touching myself and say, hey, 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 my name, je m'appelle. Mm. And then how difficult is it for somebody to say, aha, I think mm. she's introducing herself, you know, bingo. Yeah. And so, <laughs> not rocket science. No, 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 no. And it's and and we built in that manner. We the the goal is to make it simpler, not to make it more complex. Hmm. And then I suppose one of the most telling moments is when you point at the person and say, uh, "Et vous?" or "Et tu?" or et which toi? Et, or "Et vous?" Et toi. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you, and then you you trust that they will. And in fact, I will go over them and gently touch them and say. Moi, je m'appelle Irene. Et toi? Uh, I will never do the point mm. uh, with the, the index finger in mm. somebody's face because that's a very scary. Mm. Uh, and again, <laughs> at that moment, a normal person would freeze. Uh, and so much of our uh, instruction techniques are learning to avoid gestures that will scare people. Mm. So instead of, of pointing, for example, I will probably open both my arms and and reach out to that person and say, et toi, mm. and with a big smile on my face and saying, it's going to be okay. And if you make a mistake, I'm not going to yell at you. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to simply repeat it very nicely, just as your mom did when you learned English as your native language. Mm. I remember one of the most interesting experiences, uh, taking, taking French, again, this was not in that telescope month, but more of a st straight semester, was that it was helpful for the teacher to maybe get a bead on who was picking up some of these things first, and that was such a valuable way to demonstrate. I mean, I remember f specifically when she first asked, uh, is it uh, comment vous appelez-vous, how, how is it that you are named or mm -hmm. something, or how you are called? What's your name? What is your name? And but you know that's a lot of fancy words. I mean, as far as et toi mm -hmm. is is clear, but comment vous appelez-vous is a little more complicated. But my roommate, <laughs> again, <laughs> you know, he knew Im immediately what that question was, and so when he replied, "Je m'appelle Marshall," then it's like the rest of us very clearly understood what that question was. So I found it kind of inter an interesting dynamic that you, as the teacher, to some extent. Are, really have to be in touch with with your students and what they're understanding and and who is understanding and using their various levels of ability and you know exactly how that is done because you are an experienced teacher yourself you look in people's eyes and immediately <laughs> you know where there's that glossy look <laughs> saying yeah, right. boy oh boy oh boy and <laughs> where are the stars <laughs> that say okay she got it yes. and of course again we're trying to make our students successful and feel good about w about speaking and therefore firstly we will aim our question at people who seem to certainly know the answer but very quickly we will use those students your roommate in in helping the next student be successful also. Um, one of the things that is wonderful in teaching in a small liberal arts college is that we have classrooms of 15, 20 students uh, in language instruction and no one can escape me. 
absolutely, you can't hide. Mm. I don't care how large your roommate was, I would have gone behind and mm. found you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and covering, so covering. We, give, we give the opportunity to every one of our students to be successful in language production and feel good that mm -hmm. they were able to produce three, four, five. At the end of our first hours of instruction, we typically stop and say, look, uh, uh, in my case, we step out of the classroom so that we can speak English because in mm. the classroom we can't. Mm. So we physically step in the uh, corridor and I say, look, you just heard 50 minutes of French and look all the words you were able to produce. Congratulations to you. Mm. And tomorrow we'll do twice as much. Mm. I was going to ask if the, the basic rule of not ever speaking English, if, if there are fleeting moments here and there where you simply must fill in a, a brief explanation in English. Do you really try to avoid that at all costs? I mean, once a year, do you find yourself <laughs> having to speak a word of English? Many more than once a year. Oh. Um, uh, what we do is create an environment where people know that in, their in that place, they will speak the language. Again, in my case, the trick is the moment you pass the door, mm. there will be no English. But if I find a student in the hallway that student knows that I know English mm. and therefore there is no problem in speaking English or if I have to give very specific instruction on a test coming up tomorrow uh, we will again physically step outside mm. uh, to indicate that we have broken the, the, the deal we have made that in this class it's some other teachers do it by having a carpet on the floor if your, fit is, uh, the, your feet are on the carpet that's where you speak French Ah, outside interesting. Of, you know, all kind of tricks in that manner, but it's simply a symbol that says, in this situation, there's no reason to uh, repeat. I never say to my students, speak French, please. It's a given. Mm. You see, because I use those tricks, it saves time and it allows the students to remember immediately that when they are in this area, there will be no English. Mm. I remember in the Italian class that uh, even the most fundamental instructions right from the first day were given in Italian. One of them was vada alla lavagna, mm -hmm. go, go to the blackboard. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, whereas in another method, someone might say, okay, now let's go to the blackboard, I'm going to have you do whatever. But you know, even those moments kept in the language that you're studying. Just Absolutely, to, because uh, that's the real context. You see, yes. remember I told you we need to teach within a context. One of the contexts is what happens in a classroom. But h here is reality. We don't even have to pretend to be in a French restaurant and turn the class in a restaurant and pretend. You are in a classroom, go to the blackboard is something that we would normally say. And mm -hmm. so it's very easy for me to actually stand you up and make you walk to the board and say, walk to the board, au tableau mm. s'il vous plaît. Mm. And it's not hard to understand because we've just done it. And right. so much of our comprehension has to do with body language. Hmm. I, um, I'm struck by something you said earlier when you said that these, uh, this way of teaching foreign language works very well, actually, almost works the best for younger people because they have just finished studying the grammar of our language, uh, English. And so with already maybe a little more mindful of the way a language is put together, when a, another language is put to you, you, you sort of already have this sense of the various slots that need to be filled. I feel badly that I took Italian my freshman year in college, and it had been a long time since I'd had grammar. So when the teacher wrote on the blackboard one day, indeterminativo, um, which would be like, uh, a book, um, I, I did not have a clue what she was talking about. I had not thought about the fundamental building blocks of the English language in such a long time that you know, it, ne it never even occurred to me um, what, what she was talking about. So is there any value for someone, particularly uh, an older student, uh, adult age student, uh, reviewing a bit of English grammar before they step into a classroom to learn essentially the grammar of another language? Or, right. do, or does that just get in the way? I believe there is a value of reviewing anything at any time. So if, if your, your kick is English grammar, mm. please do. I studied it for many years myself. Um, must one know to describe a language to use it is your question. In other words, is it important for me when I say my name is Irene to know that mine is a possessive adjective, that name 
happens to be a noun, and mm. Irene has to be a proper noun. I mean, mm. do I have to know those terms to be able to produce my name is Irene is a debate we're having in the field of language instruction. Huh. I personally believe not. Um, probably as you get older, because you become so analytical, right. some people absolutely insist on learning in that manner. If it works for them, fine. Young kids don't do it this way. Um, I call it the tractor rule. Uh, because when my own daughter was very, very young, I once picked her out of the childcare center. And as we were driving back home, she pointed to such an object and said, what's that? And I said, a tractor. And she said, okay. And that was the end of that. She didn't ask me if it was a noun, what kind of tractor it was, who built it, why was it green and not red, why was it going left and not right, which obviously is the same thing as learning a language with structure as the core mm -hmm. uh, of language instruction. She just said, okay. And that is why young children learn so well. When your mother or your father or whomever you lived with when you were a child taught you English, nobody said to you, that you were using verbs and, and now does that mean we should never learn that stuff? Of course we should, but not prior to using the language. Mm, okay. Uh, the teacher who is going to have to instruct her better know how to describe what they're doing. But the beginning student needs to first to let all those words. How did you learn your first song, Greg? Did somebody sit down and give you all the theory of music writing or did somebody simply sing to you and you sang along? Right. It's exactly the same thing. That is a good parallel. I remember uh, when I lived in Nebraska, one of, the, uh, one of my colleagues at the university, uh, one of the other accompanists, um, had a young, young infant. Well, not an infant, I guess. I mean, more like a two-year-old or a three-year-old. And he was consciously teaching her English and German concurrently. And it was so interesting. He would demonstrate this for us. He would hold up his hand and say... What is this? And she'd say, your hand in this teeny weeny little voice. And then, was ist das? Uh, das Hunt or whatever. I mean, and, and I, I would love to catch up with him now 10 years later and, and her and see if that uh, carried through for a long time. But it was fascinating to me that this youngster had the capacity to take in both of these languages seemingly without any difficulty whatsoever. Well, that's not surprising. Uh, youngsters have the capacity to learn everything. Uh, mm. They're sponges. Um, in our own family, uh, my husband and I have two American-born daughters, uh, and our first daughter uh, didn't hear a word of English until she started school. She was raised in French. Uh, really? And it was sort of interesting because obviously we didn't put her in a jail in our apartment. She <laughs> went outside, she started watching TV, so she quickly learned English, and she very fastly um, realized that her mother spoke one code and her father spoke another code and she would turn to me and speak French and then turn her head and look at her father and speak English. Uh, and interestingly, when she is now asked what language has she learned, she says Spanish, which is the language she took at school because she doesn't consider that French was a learned language. It was what we did at home. So here is a, a child that is trilingual without even trying. Wow. How exciting, too. Yes. We are talking with Irene Kramer, who is the uh, Dean of the School of Professional Studies at Carthage College and the recent recipient of the Nelson Brooks Award for Excellence in the Teaching of Culture, uh, granted by the American Council of Teaching uh, Foreign Language. And uh, it's been interesting to explore that this whole field of, of teaching and learning foreign language, a field which obviously is of, of growing interest, uh, particularly to the business world uh, and, and so on. Um, May I make an additional point? Because um, I just realized what we spoke about for, for a few minutes now. And uh, we have directed the fact that one should learn the language to deal with people outside the United States. Um, I'd like to, to make another point, if I could. Mm -hmm. and, and that is that um, we need to learn other language to become more humane. Mm. Um, one said that if you only have one code of communication, meaning if you only speak one language, you only look at the world and at people through one window. The mm. moment you learn other codes, other languages, you start looking 
at human beings from different perspectives. Um, if we look uh, at the American census, um, we know that in the next 30 years, the white population of the United States will increase 25%. The Asian population will increase 79%. Wow. The Hispanic population will increase 187%. We know that by the year 2000, 34% of American school-age population will be minority. We know that by the year 2050, that's not that far, in it's only 50 years, right? In 50 years, um, there will be no ethnic or racial, uh, racial group which will form a majority in American schools. Hmm. Therefore, what I'm proposing to you is that learning a language, learning another code of communication, learning how other people feel and think and live is not going to allow me only to communicate to somebody very far away on the other side of the Atlantic or to the whom Pacific, you want to sell something but will allow you to get along with a person who lives next door to you in Main Street USA hmm. and I personally firmly believe that learning to respect people uh, who are different from what I am who look different who sound different who eat in different manner who have different habits uh, is going to be a matter of survival in this country. Uh, it's a question of tolerance. It's a question of empathy. And it's a question of getting along with the diversified population which makes the genius of this country. Mm. I do not believe that the melting pot ever melted. And mm. I do not believe it should melt. I think that this country is a beautiful mosaic. And I personally believe that mosaics are far more pretty and far more interesting than parts. Hmm. Very well put. I can understand why you uh, approach this, this whole field with such passion, and I can understand fully why you've been uh, uh, so awarded by the uh, American Council on Teaching Foreign Language. Thank you. We should take a few minutes here at the end, and uh, our, our time is, is growing short, but uh, you are busiest uh, day in and day out as dean of the uh, School of Professional Studies. And yes. We should hear uh, a bit about uh, SBS and uh, how it's put together and what it offers. Thank you for asking. It's the mm -hmm. second love of my life, so here we go. <laughs> uh, well, SBS at Carthage is the largest and most successful evening program in our area. Um, a lot of people think that Carthage is a daytime uh, school, uh, but the fact is that we have the oldest uh, program in adult education in our area. Uh, today, we service about 700 adult learners wow. who come in the evening and weekend to uh, finish their degree uh, at Carthage College. Uh, obviously, our programs have the quality and the reputation of all Carthage students, uh, all Carthage programs, uh, and we are known for the support that we give our students. We, I often speak to incoming students, whether traditional age or, or older ones, and I tell them, at Carthage, we don't admit you to abandon you, uh, mm. and that carries through to the program in SPS. SPS is open till 8 o'clock at night. Everybody has an advisor. There's always somebody who will call you and ask you how you're doing and if you need help. And, and of course, we have a superior faculty, as you well know, since you are kind enough <laughs> to participate as an instructor. Most of the classes that are taught in the evening are taught by our full-time faculty, and our part-time faculty have absolutely impeccable credential. So we have a very, very successful evening program. Um, we offer regular, regular, meaning traditional ways of instruction uh, by allowing people to complete as many as five majors in the evening uh, by taking classes that are 14 weeks long. And we have the program that you were kind enough to mention before, which is our accelerated Carthage education, which allows qualified adult learners to complete classes in an accelerated manner, doing in five weeks what is traditionally done in 14, in 14 weeks. So we have all kind of, of uh, programs like that. We have a computer certificate, uh, and we're delighted because we have just added 
some courses in access and windows and desktop publishing and we mm. would like to invite you listeners to come over and take a look at those wow uh, we have a paralegal program that has been in place for very many years last night i was uh, honored to be able to give some paralegal certificate to 19 fresh paralegal who were mm. very excited about what they had accomplished. Wow. Uh, we trained a lot of teachers. We work with uh, all the teachers in our, in our area to continue developing ourselves. And so, with your permission, I'd like to challenge your listener to make a New Year's resolution, perhaps <laughs> since this is this time of the year, uh, and to uh, consider... Uh, going back to college, coming back to Carthage, uh, and finishing that degree, or getting started in a brand new one, for that matter. Um, I know by experience, because I was an adult learner, I went back to college uh, when I was 30 years old. I already had two children, a full-time job, and certainly a full-time husband. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's a scary first step mm. to take. And uh, I would like to... Uh, certainly challenge your listener in telling them that the first step is what counts and mm. then a step at a time that degree comes and because we are concerned in again supporting people we have designed a course that's called the returning student uh, where we mm. take people who are a little bit again that affective filter the same scare you had <laughs> yeah, right. in your first language class mm -hmm. it's the same thing going into every new class sure. and so we invite people who are a little bit hesitant to perhaps come and take that returning student class and brush up on study skills and and remembering what what being in a college class is all about um, if i may that class starts january 5th oh. and so again Listeners, make your New, Re New Year's resolution. Uh, uh, we have an open house coming January 15. Give Carthage College a call. Our number is 551-6300. And take that first class. I promise you the degree will follow. Mm. Well, very, very nicely put. And uh, it is an interesting and valuable program for, uh, for so many people. It's been fun to be a part of the ACE program, uh, uh, personally. I've, I've enjoyed that experience very much. And we certainly have enjoyed oh. your talents. Well, it has been a pleasure to have you on the morning show and uh, look forward to having you uh, back. And congratulations again on this marvelous award granted you. to you. And Merci beaucoup, I should ah, say to you. Yes. Thank you very much for coming, and uh, so good to talk to you. Irene Kramer, Dean of the School of Professional Studies at Carthage College, recent recipient of the Nelson Brooks Award for Excellence in the Teaching of Culture from the American Council on Teaching Foreign Language. I'm Gregory Burke.